0: song afterwards I was afraid he was gonna ask me to sing <laughs> which would be okay for my wife she's a very wonderful singer and she's better looking than I am but uh, anyway good morning for those who might not have been with us during Sunday school my name is Tom Hoyle with Bible and Science Ministries and since 1985 our full-time work has dealt with the wonderful accuracy of God's Word especially in terms of history and archaeology and science We believe, as I know most of you do, as I know your pastor does, as I know he preaches, the deeper we dig, the better God's word looks. Uh, In short, ordinarily, before COVID, during the week, I'm in public schools, Christian schools, homeschool groups, Awanas, youth rallies, and that kind of thing. Of course, on Sundays, I get to be in God's houses like yours. And we can't thank you enough for your interest and friendship and support, without which we wouldn't have a ministry the rest of the time. But as you know, 2020, not a good year. How many are glad 2020 is over with? 2021 not a whole lot better, but it's a little bit better, okay? But last year, uh, over half of our speaking engagements were canceled, and so that was disappointing. And of course, financially, things were a little bit rugged. But as I mentioned during the Sunday school hour, the good news last year, I suddenly had a lot of time on my hands, and that's why we put together the, the, the climate change program that we looked at during Sunday school. So once again, little, little, uh, a little silver lining in the cloud, okay? Currently, we're almost back to normal on Sundays, but we're still waiting for things to get better with regard to the rest of the week. And as you can imagine, I'm very grateful to, uh, to you for your support and your prayers. Anyway, during Sunday school, we talked about climate change from the Bible and science. Today, we'll be looking at God's word during worship service, seven excellent reasons to trust in the Bible. Um, We have had the pleasure, the privilege of uh, sharing our programs 4,000 times now in all 50 states and five foreign countries. And as he mentioned, I also have served part-time as an Air Force Reserve chaplain, a couple days of duty each month and uh, four to six weeks during the summer. And by the way, that opened up lots and lots of doors of opportunity for me to share our programs to military audiences. And uh, we've seen many people come to Christ as a result. But anyway, anyway, for right now, though, Again, a pleasure to be with you. Before we start, your, your folks love the books and discs. I've been asked more questions about them, so I don't want people to get the wrong books for the wrong reasons. That would be very easy to do. With regard to what we're talking about this hour, I love this book. I wish I had written this book. Evidence for the Bible is the finest book on the accuracy of God's Word I have ever seen. Uh, it's a British book. It was so popular, they translated the British English into American English, and now it's a best-selling book in our country. I was very pleased a while back, Seattle Christian Schools contacted me for my recommendation for a textbook for their archaeology class, a Christian high school with an archaeology class. I recommended this book. They loved it so much they bought 52 copies of it. So it says something about this book, great for witnessing I've had people tell me all they had to do was bring out the size of this book and impress the skeptics that they were dealing with, okay? And of course, if the arguments in this book aren't persuasive, then maybe, no, not really. (laughs) The sister book of that book is Wonders of Creation, same format, same gorgeous photographs, same wonderful evidence, especially from astronomy, in favor of the accuracy of God's word, especially creation by God. As some of you know, Our most popular book is this one here, God's Big Book of Animals, looks like a kitty book. I thought that, I was wrong. This is the finest book on zoology I've ever seen. It's the most gorgeous book on zoology I've ever seen. It covers 60, six zero, 60 different creatures, including hummingbirds, uh, dragonflies, dolphins, bats, 60 different creatures and why they must have been created. And then regarding the DVDs, regarding creation, Dismantled just came out last year. It is gorgeous, beautiful photography, all kinds of evidences for creation by God, great for witnessing. And then regarding God's word once again, I recommend the Lee Strobel collection. You get three DVDs, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and The Case for a Creator. Hey, so much for all that. Once again, always a pleasure to be with you folks. And I know you're praying for your pastor on his trip. And I, a number of you are, are, uh, have you've got people off on trips right now. So, of course, we need to pray for them. And as for that, let's go ahead and have the, turn, the lights off, please, so we can get started. All righty. Thank you very much. As you know from pastors preaching and teaching, as you probably have already memorized, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. With that in mind, let's look at seven excellent reasons to trust the Bible. And if you're interested, we'd be happy to come back next year if you want and look at seven more reasons to trust in God's word. And mind you folks, there's so much evidence in favor of God's word, almost a mountain of evidence We can't cover everything, but we can look at the very top of the mountain, okay? The information and um, photographs in this program mainly came from my visits to museums like these, the Metropolitan in New York, the National Archeology span Museum in Athens, one of my favorites, the Oriental Museum in Chicago, the Israel Museum in Israel, of course, the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, the vatican museum in rome one of my favorites the british museum in london and then the getty villa museum in los angeles however i must now add to that trip to that list my trip to the museum of the bible in washington dc May I ask has anybody been to that museum yet it's extremely new folks it's almost worth a trip to washington dc just for this museum this museum is the equivalent of eight Walmarts. It cost a half a billion dollars. Privately funded, folks. It is amazing. was uh, almost a joke. Um, I was on uh, a ministry tour, and I had some uh, travel miles, so my wife came with me. We planned on one day in this museum. Boy, was that a joke. <laughs> Try two and a half days, folks. <laughs> I had to rearrange my schedule. Wonderful place. But anyway, I digress. Mind you, we don't need to prove God's word, do we? But since God's word's always true, we would expect to find evidence, right? There's lots of evidence that we can use in witnessing and to encourage our young people in their faith. Let's get started with testimonial reasons for trusting in the Bible. As you know, if you go to a bookshop, they're gonna have best-selling books for sale, right? And these books usually will have critiques Testimonials, remarks from famous people telling you why you need to buy this book. Folks, no book in history even comes close to the Bible for testimonials. We start with the father of our country, George Washington. He said, among other things, above all, the pure and benign light of this revelation, the Bible, has had a meliorating influence on mankind and increased the blessings of society. Or... Believe it or not, Thomas Jefferson, the so-called deist, Thomas Jefferson actually said, the studious perusal of the sacred volume, the Bible, will make better citizens, better fathers, and better husbands, and I'm sure, better mothers and better wives, too. Or, patriotic Patrick Henry, the Bible is worth more than all other books which have ever been written. Moving on, Abraham Lincoln big fan of the Bible. He said, I am profitably engaged in the reading of the Bible. Take all of this book, and you will live and die a better man or better woman. One of his successors, general, later president, Ulysses S. Grant, write the Bible's precepts in your hearts and practice them in your lives. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is reproach to any people. Woodrow Wilson had his shortcomings, but I like what he said, The Bible is the one supreme source of the meaning of life, the nature of God, and a spiritual nature and need of man. It is the only guide of life that really leads the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. One of my favorite presidents for all kinds of reasons, Theodore Roosevelt, who memorized vast portions of Scripture. Theodore Roosevelt, among other things, very politically incorrect, he actually said, Almost every man who has by his life work added to the sum of human achievement has based his life work largely upon the teachings of readers digest. Is that what he said, folks? What do you say? The Bible. Or the other Roosevelt, FDR, where we have been truest and most consistent in obeying the Bible's precepts, we have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. Wright D. Eisenhower, the Bible is endorsed by the ages. Our civilization is built upon its words, and no other book is such a collection of inspired wisdom, reality, and hope. Ronald Reagan, huge fan of the Bible, he said, Within the covers of the Bible are all the answers for all the problems men face. We could go on and on. We do so in other programs about this regarding God in America. For right now, folks, we know that God's Word has been the number one best-selling book every single year for over 500 years, and the major reason for that is the love that America has for this book. Truly, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. But for the sake of time, got to keep moving, folks. We now turn to moral and ethical reasons for trusting in the Bible. Many people, especially young people, don't like rules, but folks, rules can be a very good thing, right? For example, without rules for the road, things would be even worse on the freeways, right? Rules for the road are good, rules for life are even better, and we get some great rules from the word of God. Indeed, Abraham Lincoln, he said, without the Bible, we would not know right or wrong. Case in point, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. There are people who don't like the Ten Commandments, but folks, the world would be a lot better place if we took the Ten Commandments more seriously, don't you think? Indeed, I love what Ted Koppel said in a commencement speech at Duke University. Ted Koppel, I don't think he's much on TV anymore, but he was a very famous television journalist And he said, In its purest form, truth is not a polite tap on a shoulder. It is a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions. (laughs) Or let's move on to the New Testament, to the big eight, sometimes called the eight commandments, the Beatitudes from the book of Matthew. My personal physician, his favorite scripture is Matthew chapter 5. And again, The world would be a much better place if we paid attention to the Beatitudes. But, folks, there's a third consideration. The doctrine of creation. And you're thinking, what's that got to do with rules? It's got everything to do with it. Case in point, folks. What does the second line in the Declaration of Independence say? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men evolved unequally that they're endowed by evolution with no rights at all except for survival of the fittest struggle and death. Aren't we glad that's not what it says? Folks, our entire concept of civil liberties, personal rights, and freedoms, it's all based upon the Bible. That's right. God is indeed no respecter of persons, and we shouldn't be either, should we? To be more specific, Alexander Hamilton, he actually said, natural liberty is a gift of the beneficent creator. Or, the first President Harrison said, the beneficent creator has made no distinction amongst men, that all are upon inequality. Herbert Hoover That great gift of freedom to mankind sprang from the Creator and not from governments. Or I love what Harry Truman said, folks. We believe that all men are created equal because they are created in the image of God. By the way, folks, may I throw this in? We discussed this in a different program. Do you know the Declaration of Independence refers to God five times? Most Americans don't know that. One time I was talking to a school principal who said, oh no, Dr. Hoyle, we can't have you come in our school because of separation of church and state. I went, ooh. Lots of things to say to that, but I thought, instead, I'm going to have some fun. I said, excuse me, sir, do you have a copy of the Declaration of Independence? Oh, I sure do. I've got a framed copy of it on my wall, in my office. I'm looking at it right now. Ooh. You better take that down before the ACLU finds out. He says, why? Because it's full of references to God. Especially to God as a creator. And because he's a creator, he's the lawgiver, mentioned in the Declaration. And guess what? Also mentioned in the Declaration of Independence, he's going to be the ultimate judge. That's all in the Declaration of Independence, folks. Most people don't know that. Anyway, back to our subject. Ronald Reagan, liberty is not a gift from government, but a blessing from our creator. Once again, If God's a creator, and he is, he gets to make the rules, doesn't he? (laughs) That brings us back to Thomas Jefferson. Bless his heart. Do you know that he got most of the material for the Declaration of Independence from the famous Christian British political philosopher John Locke? John Locke said, The Bible has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without mixture for its matter. It is all pure, all sincere, nothing too much, nothing wanting. Truly, folks, and we could go on and on, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we learn about the truth by reading God's word, don't we? But besides testimonial reasons that encourage us to read and trust God's word, besides the need for moral and ethical standards, for rules for life, that we get by reading and obeying God's word. We now turn to internal reasons for trusting the Bible. What do we mean by that? Well, great books remind me of great buildings, especially skyscrapers. A skyscraper is only as good as its internal strength, its internal integrity. If it's flawed, it collapses, right? So it is with great books, especially the Bible. They must have internal integrity. They can't have flaws either, right? Otherwise, we can't trust them, correct? They can't have mistakes. Folks, the Bible is astonishing. The Bible, as you might know, was a result of 40 authors in three different languages over a period of 1,550 years on three different continents through 66 books. Why is it the Bible, after all that, it has internal integrity. It's not flawed. It has no mistakes. Why is it that we can believe and trust in God's word? Because, folks, there was just one Holy Spirit responsible, right? Amen. Now, with all due respect, compare God's word to other major religious writings. I'm not an expert, but I have read the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads of our Buddhist and Hindu friends. I've read the Quran twice now. In fact, while I was on Air Force Reserve duty, uh, I went to Guantanamo Bay in Cuba on an inspection tour. And in preparation, I read the Quran again, cover to cover. And folks, you know what? The Quran used to be an academic subject that people kind of ignored. Then, that's right, folks, 9-11 came along. And all of a sudden, the Quran seemed a bit more important because the Quran was convincing people to do certain things that we didn't like. Well, at Guantanamo, Bay, I had the opportunity to meet some of the detainees and I spent an entire day discussing Muslim theology with the army Muslim chaplain who was there. Very, very interesting, folks. And I was assured by him and the detainees that the Quran is a book of love and peace. Well, there's a chaplain there. He got himself in trouble with the FBI later on. But it turns out folks that maybe not everybody got this memo that the Quran is full of love and peace. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, the good news is, the Quran does have scriptures like this that say nice things about Jews and Christians. The trouble is, it also says a a lot of bad things about Jews and Christians. It contradicts everything it just said. No wonder our Muslim friends argue among themselves Folks, as far as we know, unlike the Bible, the Quran, it contradicts itself. Or, case in point, the religious writings of our Mormon friends. Our Mormon friends actually have four major books that they revere. The Bible comes out last, by the way. There's the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and then the Bible. But folks, the trouble is, The Mormon writings contradict themselves. They lack internal integrity, all right? Case for example, the nature of God. In Doctrine and Covenants, God is referred to as a physical being who's procreating. He's having a ton of babies. That contradicts the Mormon book, the Book of Mormon, as well as God's word because we're told that God is what, folks? He is a spirit. He doesn't have kids folks, regarding Adam and Eve and Harry Truman, what do they have in common? According to Doctrine and Covenants, the Garden of Eden, home of Adam and Eve, and Independence, Missouri, home of Harry Truman. We find it in Jackson County, Missouri. Apparently, Harry Truman grew up in the same area as the Garden of Eden. Ooh, that's at odds, folks with, once again, the Book of Mormon and then the Bible, because we're told that the Garden of Eden was in the Middle East, right? Regarding the birth of our Lord, according to the Book of Mormon, we're told that Jesus is born in Jerusalem, right? Anybody? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. So the Bible is contradicting the Book of Mormon here. One last example, there are many, many, many more, okay? Regarding the death of our Lord, the Book of Mormon says there were three days of darkness during their crucifixion. Is that true? No, the Bible says what? Three hours, not three days. The list goes on and on, folks, regarding how our Mormon friends, their writings contradict themselves. They lack internal integrity like the Bible does. So, folks, we can be proud of the word of God, can't we? We should study the word of God, but most of all, uh uh-oh, we should obey God's word, right? Starting with accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Truly, the good news is the Bible has internal integrity. The scripture cannot be broken. Well, next, besides testimonial reasons for trusting the Bible, besides moral and ethical reasons, besides internal reasons for trusting the Bible, we now turn to Historical reasons. W.F. Albright was the greatest expert on Palestinian archaeology ever. I visited his institute here in Jerusalem, fascinating man, fascinating place. W.F. Albright started out as a skeptic regarding the Bible. By the time he died, he was actively using the Bible as a reference guide for archaeology, and he became a born again Christian. No wonder, W.F. Albright said, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of Old Testament tradition. We talk more about that in our Old Testament archaeology program. For right now, let's look at a few highlights with regard to the New Testament, okay, for the sake of time. We begin with, and I'm sure pastors heard of Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus, as you might know, was a non-Christian Jewish leader and historian. He lived at the time of the Apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago. Flavius Josephus is the one who gives us a stirring account of Masada, the Jewish Alamo. Um, I'm sorry it's not on TV uh, I don't think anymore at all. Back in the 80s they made a three part series called Masada, a mini series based upon the writings of Flavius Josephus. I mean Hollywood added a lot of hooky stuff but it was interesting to see Masada get that attention. But besides talking about Masada, the Jewish Alamo, Flavius Josephus, 2,000 years ago, a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes about his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the early Christian church. You can read all about this in his Annals of the Jews, um, I believe it's the third volume, by the way, while we're at it, Flavius Josephus also refers to by name John the Baptist, who looked a great deal like Charles and Heston. <laughs> Flavius Josephus, we're not done yet, folks. He also mentions by name James the Just, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, mentioned in the book of Acts. One more example he also mentions by name Annas and Caiaphas. The high priest involved with the crucifixion of our Lord. So by the way, folks, it's obvious. God's word, it talks about real people, real places, real times, and most of all, a real savior, right? Because ancient historians write about these same people, don't they? But he's not the only one talking. Cornelius Tacitus was a famous Roman governor and historian, a contemporary of Josephus and a contemporary of the apostle Paul, Writing almost 2,000 years ago. This Roman governor also refers to the Lord Jesus Christ and the early Christian church. Pliny the Younger lived a little bit later during the days of the Apostle John, about 1,900 years ago. He too refers to Christ and the early church. And we could go on and on regarding secular people who lived up to 2,000 years ago who talk about biblical individuals. God's word, folks, is totally real, isn't it? It doesn't talk about imaginary individuals at all. Which brings me to Jack Anderson. How many remember Jack Anderson, very famous 1960s and 70s, famous investigative journalist and reporter? He decided to go to the Holy Land and check out things for himself when he got done he came back to america and wrote an entire series of articles demonstrating how god's word over and over again had proven itself to be true in *Prayed* magazine he wrote for example among the disciples of jesus was one thomas the man of many doubts there are still many doubting thomases in the world today however the holy land has yet to yield up all the secrets of its past but it has been unearthed to satisfy many men that the Bible is true. Back to W.F. Albright. He said the excessive skepticism shown toward the Bible has been progressively discredited. Discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and has brought recognition to the value of the Bible as a source of history. Truly folks, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The Bible's always right on, despite what critics have said. And we talk more about that in our two biblical archaeology programs. But for the sake of time, let's move on to my wife's personal favorite section, prophetic reasons for trusting in the Bible. As you know, many Americans are quite taken up with fortune-telling and mediums, and psychics, and prophets, and that kind of thing. The History Channel regularly has programs, for example, about Nostradamus. Nostradamus had a success rate, folks, of 50%, which is very impressive problem. According to God's word, as in Deuteronomy here, for somebody to claim, as Nostradamus did, for somebody to claim that their power comes from God... Their success rate for prophecies has to be what, folks? 100%. 100%? Isn't that really, really strict? Isn't it really, really unbending? Folks, it's 100%. Anything less is flunking. If somebody claims to be a prophet of God and they don't have a 100% successful track record, and nobody today does... Their power, folks, apparently is not coming from God. It's coming from some other source. Edgar Cayce, the most famous psychic in American history, got really worried. Before he died, he actually said, The devil might be tempting me to do his work by operating through me when I was conceited enough to think that God had given my special power. If ever the devil was going to play a trick on me, this would be it. Well, folks, we can say a lot more about that. We do so in a different program. But now let's check out the Bible. What about its success rate? What about its predictions? What about its prophecies? Is it always correct 100% of the time? Let's look at a few of my favorite examples, if you don't mind. Starting with, at the end of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. In chapter 9, it is prophesied, it is predicted, that in the end times before the battle of Armageddon, a 200 million man army will rise up from the East and march towards the West, towards Armageddon. Whoa. But guess what? Critics of the Bible for centuries have pointed out, correctly, that there weren't 200 million people in the entire Roman Empire. Critics said that's stupid. The Bible can't be accurate here. That army's way too big. It's not physically possible. Then. In 1966, Mao Zedong publicly bragged, if necessary, Red China could field an army against the West of guess what figure, folks? I'm not making this up. He said 200 million troops. He didn't realize that he was fulfilling biblical prophecy, folks. But most of all, folks, most of all, we need to focus for the sake of time in on a few of the predictions regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Case in point, his birth. I'm sure pastors preached and taught this before. I'm sure you already know this. But guess what? Micah predicted 700 years before Jesus Christ was born that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And Matthew tells us that's exactly where it happened, right? Fulfilling biblical prophecy. Regarding the death of our Lord, though, It was prophesied a 1,000 years before in Psalm 22 and in Isaiah 53 that Messiah would be crucified. Jesus was crucified, wasn't he? But keep in mind this, not only was this prediction made a long time before, at the time these prophecies were made in Isaiah and in the Psalms, crucifixion had not yet been invented. (laughs) 330 predictions, prophecies have been made regarding our lord he has fulfilled almost all of them he's got a few more left over doesn't he when he will fulfill when he comes again and then as the bible tells us all will be fulfilled the bible will have a 100 percent track record truly for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost Well, next, no big surprise, we now turn to scientific reasons for trusting in the Bible. And again, we talk a lot more about this in other programs. Here are a few highlights that I like regarding how true science always agrees with the Bible. It's not science versus the Bible, is it, folks? It might be evolution versus the Bible or evolution versus science, but true science always agrees with the Bible. Ordinarily, I try to get along with everybody, but I remember a few years ago, I went up to a church and Looked at the reader board and went, oh, no. It said, come here, Dr. Hoyle, speak about science versus the Bible. I could not let that slide, folks. That's false advertising. I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, I don't mean to be a a stick in the mud, but that reader board is wrong, wrong, wrong. You need to change it. (laughs) We're talking about science and the Bible, right? Well, anyway, we're not just talking about all the evidences from science in support of creation by God. All of God's word is true, isn't it? Just not the account of creation, not just Genesis, but all the rest of the Bible, folks. Fascinating scriptures exist throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Job. Scientific statements that were criticized by doubters for centuries until true science caught up with the Bible. Case in point, let's start big, shall we? The earth. In Job chapter 26, verse seven, the Bible talks about the earth hanging upon nothing. And guess what? For centuries, people thought that was stupid. The Bible's wrong. The earth is sitting on top of something. The back of atlas, elephants, rocks, turtles. True science caught up with the Bible. We now know the earth does hang upon nothing, doesn't it? As it revolves around our sun in the solar system. Or speaking of the earth, the Bible says, drum roll please, the earth is what? It's round. And that's right, folks, you guessed it. For centuries, many people believed that the earth was flat, it had four corners, and it was only with the voyages of Columbus and Magellan that everybody finally agreed that the Bible was right after all. The earth it is round, isn't it? Or speaking of the earth, let's see, on a good way, it's been all wet. Not once but twice. Once during the creation week, and the second time during the Genesis flood. And the Bible says, regarding all that water, there are paths in the seas. Several scriptures talking about the paths of the seas. And critics said, that's dumb. There are no roads or sidewalks or avenues or boulevards in the oceans. The Bible's speaking nonsense here. Well, American Navy Commodore Matthew Fontaine Morey, he believed in the Bible. He was studying the Bible. He came across these scriptures in the Psalms. And he said, God's word says there are paths of the seas. I'm going to find them. And he did. He was the first person to scientifically chart ocean currents, which are now called the paths of the seas. His grave marker says the pathfinder of the seas on it. He is honored as the father of oceanography because of his discovery of the paths of the seas. So, folks, guess what? He got famous by trusting in the Bible. Smooth move. Morey, among other things, he said, the Bible is true, and science is true. And therefore, each, if truly read, that proves the truth of the other. Many, many brilliant people, history's greatest scientists, have believed in God's word, not just in creation, but the rest of the Bible, like Sir Isaac Newton. Newton, among other things, he said, I have a fundamental belief in the Bible as a word of God, Written by men who were inspired. I study the Bible daily. We can mention a lot of these people. We do so in a different program. But a quick word about people who studied Newton's universe. A number of our astronauts have been very devout individual folks. and a number of them outright Christians. Bible lovers. One of my personal favorites. Colonel James Irwin from Apollo 15. I had the opportunity uh, to interview him one time. Uh, during Q&A, I would be happy to share with you some awfully interesting things that he told me, folks, and some experiences. But This is a man who was a skeptic of God's word, then became a believer in God's word, and he rededicated his life on the lunar surface and prayed. His knee prints are still there. Erwin said, I guess I was a skeptic in my early days, but I've come to believe in what the, in what the Bible says as being true. And I think there's great power in that new faith. There are many others, but for right now, for the sake of time, we know the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Well, last, not least, I tried to keep this program down to 45 minutes, and we did, but that gives us time for Q&A. We turn to, in some ways, the most important reason for trusting the Bible transformational reasons for trusting in the Bible. In God's word, we have the gospel. It is the power of God that changes people's lives like nothing else can. There are many, many possible examples. Here are a few of my favorites, famous critics who dared God, dared the Bible, read the Bible, and uh uh-oh, they got saved. (laughs) Sir Dr. William Ramsey, I'm sure your pastor has heard of him. Sir Dr. William Ramsey, he wanted to write a book attacking the accuracy of God's word, specifically specifically the book of Luke and the book of Acts. When he got done doing all of his research, guess what happened to him? He got saved (laughs) and wrote 10 books in favor of the Bible instead. Satan got a really raw deal there, don't you think? Or, Lew Wallace, American general, governor, he wanted to write a novel ridiculing Jesus Christ because he was a hardcore critic of the Bible and anything Christian. When he got done doing all of his homework, he too became a born-again Christian. And instead, he wrote a novel, which became a famous movie, that has the gospel in it and honors The Death, Burial, and Resurrection of Our Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard of it. You might have read it. It's a long novel. Ben-Hur, which became the famous movie of the same title, starring a very biblical person, Charlton Heston. (laughs) Or C.S. Lewis, famous British scholar, agnostic, critic of the Bible. When he got done doing all of his research you guessed it, folks. It happens over and over and over again. you think word would get out. He got saved. C.S. Lewis, very famous. Here he is in a front cover of Time magazine, and he admitted, folks, I believe in Christianity, as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because I see everything by it. Led to the Lord by the word of God. And as you know, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which... I, I'm really disturbed. A lot of Christian boys and girls have not read the Chronicles of Narnia. I highly, highly, highly recommend these. I bought sets for all of my nieces and nephews. How, may I ask, how many here have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, a number of you, but guess what? That's all of us old people. <laughs> I highly recommend. Check them out from the library, okay? Or, I mean, they're inexpensive on eBay, okay? But even more important than the Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote all kinds of books in defense of the Christian faith. Classics, folks, to read about Christian apologetics that will help a person share their faith with others. Josh McDowell, similar story, another critic. He was looking forward to a career in attacking the name of Jesus Christ, his Christians, his people, his word, et cetera, et cetera. When he got done doing all of his research, he too became a born again Christian. And became a prolific author of the best-selling books of the 20th century once again in defense of the christian faith one last example lee strobel lee strobel was a chicago tribune columnist he wanted to win a pulitzer by debunking the resurrection he specifically targeted the book of john when he got done checking the facts folks Same story, right? Very predictable. He, too, became a Christian. And he, too, went to work writing all kinds of books, like Josh McDowell, talking about the accuracy of God's word, the existence of God himself, and salvation available through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, folks, wow! God's word just seems to have a knack for changing people, doesn't it? It transforms lives once again like nothing else can. It steers people 180 degrees in the opposite direction. I keep challenging all my critical friends. If you're really honest with yourself, you're honest with the facts, you need to check out the Bible if you've got the courage. Because when you get done, the odds are excellent you're going to get saved. (laughs) Truly, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, folks, we could go on and on and on, but some of you folks might be thinking, let my people go. Uh, some of you people might be thinking, my stomach is growling here. By the way, may I throw this in for free? Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, wait a minute, now, does your church have a Sunday evening service? No. Oh, okay, good. All right, okay, I'm not in trouble. Um, they have a guest speaker at Taylor Creek Baptist Church in Maple Valley, Uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, and he wrote several of the books back there, is one of America's top creation astronomers. And he'll be speaking on creation astronomy tonight at that church, 6 o'clock. So in case you're interested, uh, you might consider that. I'll be there. (laughs) Uh, Folks, if you're interested, we'd be thrilled to go ahead and share seven more reasons. Uh, Let pastor know if you are interested. For now, can we have the lights, please? And as in Sunday school, folks, we do hope and pray that everybody here... We're not only trusting in God's word, and reading God's word, and studying God's word, and memorizing God's word, but we are, most of all, obeying God's word, right? Starting with accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and after that, living for him. If there's anybody here who does not know for sure that he or she is going to heaven, wow! It's only the single most important thing in life. It is a top, top priority folks you know my father he was so cautious he would not drive a car around the block unless he was fully insured I can appreciate that folks you know Murphy's Law says the one single moment you are uninsured is when you're gonna have an accident and you're gonna need the insurance right but you know what the most vital insurance of all is the plan of salvation And my father, even though he wanted to make sure that he was always insured, folks, for example, with car insurance, as far as I know, he never took out the most important insurance policy of them all, the plan of salvation, the gospel. Never leave home without it, folks. (laughs) Don't cross the street without knowing for a fact you're saved and going to heaven, right? If you don't know for sure, please don't leave until you talk to one of us. We will be thrilled, free of charge, to share from God's word, which is always true, how to go to heaven, right? Most of us, once again, we already know that, don't we? Awesome. We're born again. We're saved. We're redeemed. We're regenerated, right? We're justified in the eyes of God. But as the song goes, we've only just begun, right? Salvation, free gift of God, right? Woohoo! We're going to heaven, right? But if we love our Lord and we want to obey our Lord, we need to what? Ooh, serve our Lord, right? Not to go to heaven because we're already going, right? That's a done deal. But we serve our Lord because we love him, we want to obey him, and guess what? He will reward those who serve him on this earth. But frankly, folks, if you're like me, the main thing I'm wanting, okay, is when I stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, which is not the same thing as the great white throne of judgment, right? Christians will stand before the Lord, as your pastor will tell you, before the Bema seat of Christ. I just want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'll bet you do too, don't you? So my suggestion, get a job serving the Lord, and you've got great opportunities in this church here, don't you? So we thank you very much and then I'm told that you want to have some Q&A, is that right? So uh, how about just a few questions and then we'll shut down. Way in the back, yes sir. I'm just curious if you've heard any of this scuttlebutt going around that the Catholic Church has supposedly omitted. I'm sorry, I out a little bit The Catholic Church has supposedly omitted the books of Enoch. I've been hearing this scull butt on the internet, and I'm just sort of curious if you know anything about that. Uh, I can't remember, because it's been a while since I've studied the Catholic Bible. They do have extra books, as you know. Their canon of scripture is longer than ours. Uh, What happened at the Council of Trent in 16th century, they had to validate the doctrines of purgatory and that kind of thing, which weren't in the Bible, so they had to add extra non-canonical, non-biblical books to their Bible to justify these doctrines, okay? Um, and I don't remember, is Enoch one of those, one of those books? Is it one of those, and, and you're saying now they want to pull it out? So, so I, I, I haven't heard that, no. Is, is these books of Enoch were not actually in the Bible? They're just the books that were added by the Catholic Church? They're not real books of the Bible? No, no, no. no. It no. sounds uh, like Enoch had books that he wrote that were supposed to be in the Bible, and they took them out. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. no. That, yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah. The book of Enoch is referred to, and there are lots of extra books written by sincere people, but they were not authorized by God. They were not inspired by God. They were not prophets of God or apostles of God or authorized by prophets or apostles to write books. And their books were never authorized. The the, the Jewish people never accepted them into the Old Testament and the Christian church never accepted the New Testament era books into the Bible, okay? Uh, But there were extra books written by other individuals and uh, our Catholic friends did add some of these books. Now, having said that, folks, uh, they're called the pseudepigrapha. There were some books written by people who weren't good people. They wrote very misleading books to push their own ideas, and they claim that these books were inspired of God. All right? So there's a, a list of legitimate books written by legitimate people that don't qualify to go into the Bible, but our Catholic friends did install them in the Bible. And then there are some uh, uh, false books, pseudepigraphal books, all right, that claim to be legitimate books of the Bible. And obviously, they were never accepted by the Christian church. But it's a miracle of God through His Holy Spirit that. The Holy Spirit not only inspired certain men to write the books of the Bible, the Holy Spirit made sure their correct books wound up in God's Word. All right? Um, and it's, just, it's a fascinating story. It's called the Canon of Scripture. Okay? C-A-N-O-N. And again, um, I was raised Roman Catholic. I've got many Roman Catholic friends. My great aunt was the mother general of a Catholic hospital. She was a delightful lady. Uh, she'd come to visit, and she'd call herself super nun. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I've I got lots of Catholic friends. We might have some here. But, folks, we have a whole list of extra-canonical, extra-biblical books that were added to the Catholic Bible not until the 16th century. And they did that. At, pardon me? I doubt it seriously. We can't say one way or the other. I doubt it seriously. Sure, sure. Um, and I don't honestly to be honest with you, I can't remember if those were considered pseudepigraphal books or legitimate historical books. I don't remember, okay? But whatever they are, anything written by Enoch is not considered to be a biblical book. And our Jewish friends never incorporated his books into the Old Testament canon of scripture, OK? Never did. Pardon me?:. Well, the Torah is only part of the Old Testament. That's the law, okay. There are three segments in the Old Testament. You've got the law, the history, and the prophets, okay? And the law is called the Torah. And the, our Jewish friends never adopted any of these extra books, all right? They adopted only the books that they believed were inspired of God. And they did an amazing job of getting it straight. And a Christian church did an amazing job of getting it straight on, you know, uh, later on, okay? So that's a long answer to a short question. Did, 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 does all that make sense? <laughs> So, uh, okay, good question. All right. Yes, sir? Uh, dealing with the management climate change people more on the sun it's involved in it. Oh, wow, right, okay. Just, just a little bit. Okay, sure. As we said during the Sunday School Hour, our, our, our crisis climatology friends, they want to blame almost everything on carbon dioxide. And they do think uh, maybe 5% of the problem... Uh, would be methane, okay, but basically speaking carbon dioxide is the enemy, all right, and for all kinds of reasons, scientific reasons, and just plain common sense, we we think that's extremely unrealistic, okay? By far, of all the factors in Earth's climate, and a whole list of them, okay, the biggest factor is going to be the Sun. (laughs) The Sun goes through different cycles. It gets slightly warmer, it gets slightly cooler. It has flares sometimes. And frankly, folks, we should be very grateful. The sun is as boring as it is. We have an entire program on stars in the Bible. Folks, our sun is extremely unusual. In secular circles, they ridicule our sun as being home drum, milk toast, you know. An average. It is not an average star at all. Unlike most stars, our sun only varies by 0.1%. Your average star varies enormously, over 10%. If we had a sun like that, it would roast the earth periodically. I mean, burn it up, okay? Or let it freeze. So our sun has, has a very steady heat output for which we can be very, very, very grateful, okay? It's radiation level, very, very uh, level. Uh, the fact is, our sun is boring, and we want boring, folks. How many here... You've just bought a house, and you find out it's got a gas furnace. How many of you want a gas furnace that flares up out of control periodically or turns itself off with no reason? How many would buy a house like that? No, you want a furnace that's boring, that comes on when it's supposed to, and goes off when it's supposed to, and never has any extremes. That's our son, folks. There's a whole long list of things about our son, very unusual. I better not go too far here, but... You, you've touched on something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, one of the biggest problems among many regarding our sun, it's a slowpoke. Our sun rotates at one rpm. That's not one revolution per minute. that's one revolution per month. Our sun is rotating less than 10 percent as fast as normal stars do. Our sun is doing this number here. All the other stars are doing this. We don't want a sun that rotates very fast. Why? It would be flinging off solar flares right and left constantly. Instead, our sun rotates very slowly. We have very few solar flares, and they aren't that bad. Here's something else my evolutionary friends can't explain. Among many, many other things regarding our fascinating sun and how it does vary somewhat, though, but not very much. But it varies enough where we do have the temperature going up a little bit and going back down, but not anywhere like what you'd expect. Our sun is tilted on its axis at six degrees. It shouldn't be tilted at all. The solar system is supposed to be all revolving around the sun, which means the sun should be up and down like that, zero degrees. And the universe, I'm sorry, the solar system's revolving around it, right? My evolutionary friends have no idea Why the sun's tilted this way when everything else is revolving around it this way. You say, well, who cares besides the fact that contradicts solar evolution theories? Folks, astronomers tell us when the sun does have an occasional flare, the fact that it's tilted means the serious flares miss the earth because the sun is rotating this way and the flares are zinging off in this direction and the earth is down here. We could go on and on and on okay? Our sun is a very special star. Stars in general are very special. I'll say this, I'm going to get back to your question, sorry. It's his fault, he asked me this. <laughs> Folks, if you read an astronomy textbook, it will tell you this molecular cloud of gas and dust condensed somehow, became a star, then condensed some more, and achieved critical density, and became a thermonuclear hydrogen fusion reactor? I don't think so at all. Folks, what happens when you try to, try to compress a gas? It gets hot and it expands, it pushes back, doesn't it? Gravity alone cannot collect all that gas and dust and create a star, it just won't, especially if the cloud is rotating, okay? We could go on and on about that. Then, let's say you do have by some miracle, a star that's got all this gas and dust, folks, it's almost impossible to accidentally have critical density and have a fusion reactor. And the proof of that, folks, is man has been trying to create an artificial thermonuclear hydrogen fusion reactor on purpose for for heat generation, for energy, right? We've been unable to do it. (laughs) We can't create on purpose. Sustainable, cost-effective, nuclear, uh, thermonuclear energy. But the sun does it easily, folks, and has been doing it for thousands of years. Somebody made the sun, folks. It didn't happen just by accident. Back to you, sir. I'm sorry. I digress. My fault. I'm bad. Okay. Our sun is very, very special. Okay, It has cycles. It does vary somewhat. Not very much. Lucky for us. And according to, for example, that book Neglected Sun that we mentioned in our program, the experts recognize the sun has various cycles. Now, we didn't have time in the program for this. It's not just the sun, there are other factors, other variables that help to change our climate, namely the Earth. Our Earth, for example, has a very unusual orbit around the sun, it's almost perfectly rounded, I'm glad it is. If we had a really oval elliptical orbit around the sun, guess what? We'd be getting really, really hot, really, really cold, really, really hot, right? And instead, the orbit's almost perfectly round. It's not quite perfectly round because Jupiter and other planets are tugging at the Earth a little bit along the way. So they're kind of adjusting our orbit. But the Earth's orbit does vary a teeny bit, just like the Sun's output. As a result, this is a major factor in climate change, all right? Also the Earth, as you know, is tilted on its axis at 23.5 degrees, usually our Earth does wobble a teeny bit due to gravitational attraction of the moon and other planets, okay? As a result, this changes the Earth's climate a little bit. I can go on and on. There are natural variations that create climate change that have nothing to do with carbon dioxide (laughs) and nothing to do with us. But once again, folks, the good news is these variations are very, very moderate, and I'm very, very glad but they do help to explain why the temperature of the Earth goes up a few degrees and then goes down a few degrees. That was a long, long answer to a short, short question. i answer your question at some point. <laughs> okay, last question, folks. It's almost high noon.
1: Oh. Yes, yeah, right, 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 right there.
0: Right. All right, so this, so this is kind of a, of a weird question, question but do yeah, you know anything yeah, like Bell, like the university theory that. What, was, which theory? Which Not a weird question at all. Very, very good. First of all, though, uh, we, we have to explain there are various theories besides the Big Bang theory for the origin of the universe. Okay, uh, the Big Bang theory does not say the Earth, the universe, uh, is infinite, okay, or eternal. They say there was a definite time when it started, and that's about the only thing that the Big Bang theory gets right. Okay, God did start the universe, didn't He? So there is a specific time when He created the universe. And the Big Bang Theory says there's a specific time when the universe came into being. Now, after that, the Big Bang Theory gets almost everything wrong, okay? Um, There are other theories that claim the universe is infinite. The steady state theory is a classic example of that that was pushed by my namesake, Sir Frederick Hoyle, okay? He believed in an infinite universe, okay? So I'm just clarifying there are different views for the origin of the universe. Some say the universe got started, and some say the universe has always been here and is infinite and eternal, okay? Getting to your question directly, we do have an entire program on the subject of extraterrestrials, aliens, and UFOs. It's based upon my 35 years in the Air Force Reserve. Um, I've been to all the places that you've heard about. I've been to the laboratory where the alien embryo was uh, supposedly autopsied, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Based upon the Bible and science and my experience in the Air Force Reserve, in my humble opinion, 97% 97% of UFO uh, sightings can be explained. They're either hoaxes or misidentifications. And my personal opinion, and most Bible scholars seem to agree, approximately 3%, give or take, 3% involves something that needs to be explained. And it's our conclusion that we're talking about spiritual beings, all right? Um, his name is Lieutenant Colonel Nelson Paccio. He is a retired Air Force uh, officer. He was at the Air Force Academy, and he was also at NORAD. His job was tracking atmospheric phenomena. He reached the same conclusion. Uh, I, I'm not going to give you folks the entire program, because you want to go home, right? Um, uh, well, you know, I just forgot her name. Well, anyway. I have been to the Air Force's Air University Library, which is the biggest one in the entire world, and have been to their UFO section, which is enormous, okay? And um, her name will come to me after the service. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever had that happen? You were trying to remember something, and then by the time you got in your car, you remember, oh, I meant to buy that. Okay, anyway. Anyway, um, this gal was hired by the U.S. Air Force. Her full-time job, was to collate every single UFO sighting, every single UFO book. She became the world's top expert on UFOs. All right? Her conclusion, which shocked everybody and probably didn't make the Air Force very happy, her conclusion is that, as I just said to you, almost everything can be explained as either a hoax or a misidentification except that a very small percentage involves something occultic, spiritual beings. And she drew a correlation between these spiritual beings and the world of demons. Nelson Paciaco said, in his personal opinion, the UFOs represented demonic beings. So a whole lot, lot, lot more could be said than that. We, we do have a DVD about it that's excellent, but that's basically the opinion most... Christian scholars have got. A very small percentage of UFOs represent spiritual beings, probably uh, demonic ones, all right? But I hope I answered your question, but uh, (laughs) we can't go too much more into that. Our UFO program, our program about aliens is is 50 minutes long. (laughs) So we need to wrap things up. Okay, real quick, ma'am. Have you heard anything about Tim's planet? I'm sorry? oh yes ma'am uh there's supposedly a ninth planet and a tenth planet as you know pluto got demoted in 2006. that's right it's now called a dwarf planet okay but they have reason to believe that there might be a ninth or tenth planet although as far as i know these two are probably dwarf planets too in fact there are five dwarf planets now we have eight normal normal-sized planets and we got five dwarf planets which include pluto okay and they think there might be a couple more But um, it's not going to change anything one way or the other, though. So Well, listen, folks, we need to wrap things up here. So I want to thank you so much for coming. I hope this is worth your while. I'd be happy to talk with you some more if you have any questions or comments. And we would be delighted to come back if you want. But for right now, we better close in prayer so you guys can go home and eat lunch, okay? So uh, uh, let's pray, shall we? Our God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that it's true. We thank you so much that we can believe in it and obey it And we pray that this week we would obey your word by making sure we're Christians, by living for you, ensuring the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with others. We pray for all those, like Pastor, who can't be with us here today. We pray for blessings upon everyone and upon our country during these extremely challenging times. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.